Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're turning to the Old Testament tonight. We're turning to the prophet Micah. Uh, you'll find our Bible reading on page 778 over into 779 of the Pew Bibles. 778 into 779. Uh, we're just going to read six verses from Micah chapter 5. Uh, this is an Old Testament promise about the coming of the Lord Jesus. And uh, we're going to be thinking about this promise later in our service. So Micah chapter 5, and we're reading verses 1 to 6, starts on page 778 of the Pew Bibles and runs into page 779. And this is God's living word to us this evening. Micah chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is led against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Epathra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the brothers shall return to the people of Israel and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Let's pray for a moment before we look at the Bible together. Father, we pray that you would help us to clear our minds now in these moments. We've had a busy week. We've had a busy day. Help us to focus on your word. Come by your spirit and speak to all of us. And help us to remember and see clearly that Jesus is our peace. And help us to know deep in our hearts that we can rest in him at this busy time of year. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, this evening we're turning to Micah chapter 5. It's an Old Testament prophecy about the coming of the Lord Jesus. Uh, you'll find it on pages 778 into 779 of the Pew Bibles. Uh, we haven't really been following a series over the past few Sunday evenings, uh, but we have been thinking about relevant Christmas Bible passages, and we're looking at another one this evening. Uh, the issue of leadership is one that is never really that far from our minds. Uh, this week, the Prime Minister faced the most significant and difficult week as the leader of Her Majesty's government. Uh, you maybe weren't following all the ins and outs of it, but there was a vote in Parliament and there was some discussion about whether or not he would win it and what would happen if he didn't. In the end, the government did win the vote and Rishi Sunak's authority as Prime Minister was strengthened just a little bit. But this coming week, we'll be hearing more from our leaders, whether on the mainland or here in Northern Ireland, and they'll be providing us with their Christmas messages. And those messages are revealing because they tell us something about the people who rule over us. 
Uh, because the Christmas messages haven't been released, I had to look back at last year's Christmas messages from senior politicians. Uh, last year, instead of recording a traditional peace-to-camera Christmas message, the Prime Minister recorded telephone calls he made with public servants in which he thanked them for all their hard work and sel selflessness. Uh, the leader of the opposition, Sir Keir Starmer, last year went with the traditional message and said, I hope this Christmas is a joyous and relaxing time for you. I'm looking forward to sharing time with my family, away from the day-to-day -day of work. But as I do, I will be keeping in my heart all those who are working to keep us safe. So last year, the Prime Minister focused on the sacrifice of others, which tells us that as a leader, he values sacrifice and commitment. And the leader of the opposition talked about security and others keeping us safe and how that's important for our country. The, the, those annual messages are revealing because they tell us something, however superficial, about the people who rule over us. Yet what they so often miss or fail to do is to take us to the heart of the real story and the real meaning of Christmas. Now, we shouldn't really expect a secular government, government to, to clearly articulate the message of Christianity but our leaders like to pull out some of the morality of Christmas without ever really engaging with the challenging truth of it. And that comes in direct contrast to the leader that God promised to send to his people in the Old Testament. Well, what we have in front of us this evening is an ancient promise from God about the ruler, the leader that he is going to send. And what we're going to find is that this leader, this ruler, isn't like our earthly leaders or rulers he won't let us down or leave us high and dry. His origins, his, his reason for coming and what he provides tell us that he is someone we can trust and follow and rely on no matter what. Before we look at some of those things together, let me set the scene of Micah's time. Uh, Micah is a, is a minor prophet and we're probably not that familiar with his work or with his material or his time. M Micah was writing about 750 years before Jesus came. So in that way, the content of what he writes seems quite distant to us. The book has three different sections and they can be seen as cycles. Each cycle mentions a specific sin that Israel is caught up in, but it also contains hope because it talks about how God will deliver his people. Now there was a lot going on in Micah's day, politically speaking. Uh, there was lots of hand wringing from political leaders. Uh, there was a lot to talk about in terms of the economy. There were lots of decisions to be made that affected people's day-to-day -day lives. Yet through all of that, God is presented by Micah as sovereign and in control. And Micah was also writing with exile on the horizon. The superpower in his day was Assyria, and they will eventually be the instrument of God's judgment. But in chapter 5, we have a specific promise about the ruler who will one day come. And what we're going to do tonight is look at that promise and understand more of what God's ruler is like. Micah 5 gives us the background to God's ruler. It gives us his CV, if you like. Specifically, what are we told about him? Well, to help us with that, we're going to ask three questions as we look at this passage together. First of all, where will God's ruler come from? Second of all, why will God's ruler come? And then thirdly, what will God's ruler provide? So very simple questions. Where will he come from? Why will he come? And what will he provide? But those are questions that will take us to the heart of this passage and also to the heart of Christmas itself. Let, let, let's start with question number one then. Where will God's ruler come from? And let's read verse two of Micah chapter five again together. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Epathra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me 
one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. The answer to our question is very plainly stated in verse 2. It's not hard. You can't really miss it. Where will God's ruler come from? He will come from Bethlehem, Epathra. Bethlehem is called that to distinguish it from another Bethlehem. But this is where the ruler will come from. And what's striking is that in Bible times, Bethlehem was completely insignificant. It was one of those places that was too small to be noticed. One of those places you drive through on autopilot and just miss. You blink and it's gone. Important cities like London, New York, and Paris are, are known throughout the world, but Bethlehem was the complete opposite. There, there, was no, there, there were no guided bus tours with complimentary headsets around Bethlehem in Micah's day. Uh, the, the, the line about Bethlehem being too little to be among the clans of Judah is a reference to Joshua allotting the towns for the tribe of Ju- Joshua, uh, for the tribe of Judah in Joshua 15. 92 towns were conquered, but Bethlehem doesn't make the list. So it's, part, it's past number 92 in the rankings, which to my mind isn't a very good place to be. To be. If you're past 92, well, you're not, so, you're not very significant at all. In, in modern terms, Bethlehem wouldn't have merited a single traffic light or a roundabout. Street lights, maybe, at a push, but it was a nothing place in the middle of nowhere and nobody really knew anything about it. Now, of course, the great King David was from Bethlehem, but interestingly, he never went back there after going to Jerusalem. And that says a lot about the place. It's the sort of place that even if you grew up there, you would have no real desire to go back if you left. Uh, Bethlehem was six miles from Jerusalem and Jerusalem was the place of power. But God's ruler comes from this small and insignificant town, not the power center up the road. With all that in mind, where God's ruler comes from tells us something about what he will be like. Tells us that he will be humble. He will come from a humble town and will have humble beginnings. Uh, As well as that, we're given a hint that this ruler will be both human and divine. Just look at verse 2 again. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Epathra, who are too little to to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. From you, Bethlehem, shall come a ruler. In other words, this ruler will be born from someone who is in this place. The ruler will come from an actual human being and will therefore be fully human. But he will also be divine. His coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. He existed in eternity past, before time began, before the seconds began to tick. This ruler was there. And in that way, he's fully divine. So we're building quite a picture. The, the, The ruler that God will send will come from Bethlehem, He will will be born in the way that every other human being has been born, yet he will also be divine. And when we put all of that together, we're made to see that this ruler will be humble. Humility will mark his coming. So where will he come from? But why will he come? That's our second question. Why will God's ruler come? For this question, our answer comes in verse 3. Let's read it together. It says, Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. There's a, uh, there's a haunting phrase in this verse. It comes at the beginning of it. Therefore he shall give them up. Now what's that saying? It's saying that God is going to give his people up. And what that's referring to is the exile. For, for following their disobedience, their rejection of him, 
God will give his people up. He will, he will give them over to the hands of the Assyrians. It's nothing more than they deserve, but it's a haunting phrase. Israel will be overrun by her enemies and they'll have no one to blame but themselves. Now the thing is, Micah hints that God's people think they're strong when actually they're anything but. Verse one takes us in that direction. It says, now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is led against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Now what this is, is, is actually divine sarcasm. God, God through Micah is saying, get your army together and see if you can defend yourself. But the truth is, Israel can't defend itself. It's, it's about to be overwhelmed. Uh, the, the, the word for troops in verse one in the original describes a small raiding party. The people are completely helpless, but it's all because they have turned from, to turn from the living God. Why will God's ruler come? In simple terms, because God's people have rejected him. In terms that we might understand, because we have rejected him. Micah says that Israel is going to be handed over by God to suffer the pain of exile and judgment. They had turned their hearts to idols and were about to reap what they had sowed. Isaiah, a contemporary of Micah, wrote about what God was going to do in response to his people's rejection of him. Isaiah said, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. But yet this passage contains the promise of a ruler. Well, why is it that God will send a ruler? It's because of humanity's sin and rebellion. What, what, what the Bible clearly teaches us is that this ruler won't be, won't be for a specific group of people, but will instead be for all people. And he will come to save his people from their sins. We've said in our studies in Isaiah 40 this month that the exile is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament spiritual reality. We haven't quite put it like that, but that's how we can understand it, I think. The exile is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament spiritual reality. By our very nature, we are rebels against God. The Bible says that we're all born into sin. We all reject God from the very beginning of our earthly existence. In that sense, we are in exile from God's presence. We can't come into his presence. We can't know him because sin acts as a barrier between us and him. We've been exiled from his very presence. But yet this passage contains the promise of a ruler who will bring us back to God. Why will the ruler come? To save us, to rescue us, to help those in need. The people of Micah's day lived in spiritual darkness, the same kind of spiritual darkness that you and I live in at times. They showed lip service to God and his ways. They worshipped created things rather than the creator. They believed that they were self-sufficient. And what was God's answer to their woes, to their sin, to their rebellion? Well, it was a ruler. And this is really vital for us to understand. God sends a ruler, not a cheerleader. doesn't send someone to stand on the sidelines of our lives who will shout encouragements like, believe in yourself and you can do it. He sends a ruler, not a support worker. doesn't send someone to, to help us live our best life now. He sends a ruler not an advisor, doesn't send someone that we can consult only in times of crisis. He sends a ruler to, to, to rule over us, to guide us, to lead us, to, to help us, to shepherd us, and to save us. We, we, we've avoided mentioning who this ruler is. We haven't mentioned him by name so far, but of course we know that it's Jesus. Who, who else could it actually be? 
Uh, at Christmas time, we remember his birth in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. At Christmas, we remember God's ruler being born in the days of a terrible tyrant of a ruler. Uh, at Christmas, we remember why this ruler has come, so that he might save us from our sins. He, he, came, he came humbly. He was fully human, yet fully divine. Uh, and he came so that we might know him now and forever. But what is it that he provides? That's our third question tonight. We've talked about some of the things that that Jesus gives us or brings us, but what's mentioned in this passage? What is it that God's ruler provides? There's something very specific. Look at verse four and then the first line of verse five. It says, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. I want to tell you a secret tonight. Some of you might already know this. Some of you might not remember. Don't worry if you don't. But I've spoken from this passage in church before. We looked at it a few Christmases ago. I think it was 2019 or 2018. Not quite sure. What I've done this week is freshen it up a bit. And in doing that, I noticed something that I hadn't before. Last time we looked at this passage, we focused heavily on the promise of God's ruler being a shepherd. And that's a great promise. In him we'll be secure. In him we'll be taken care of. In him we'll have a shepherd ruler who will look after us now and forever. But there's something that I think I missed the last time. And it's, it's taken a refresher on this passage for me to see it. It's the line at the start of verse 5. And he shall be their peace. God, through Micah, says that the ruler that will come will be our peace. It's helpful sometimes to work out what that's not saying or what a passage isn't saying. Now, what is this not saying? God, through Micah, is not saying the ruler will bring peace. Jesus will do that at the end of time. Peace will reign forevermore. But that's not what is said here. God, through Micah, is also not saying there's a lump of something called peace and Jesus slices off a bit and gives it to us like a slice of pizza or like a lump of cheese. Somehow he he slices it off and somehow we get it and then we have to try and live with it and we go off and try and experience it, feel it, apply it, create it in our different situations. But that's not what Micah writes. The, the, The ruler God will send will not just give us a lump of peace and then leave us to our own devices. What does Micah say? Well, just look at it. He says, And he shall be their peace. He shall be their peace. This ruler, Jesus, will be their shalom. And that's the Hebrew word for peace, shalom. He will be your wholeness. He will be your togetherness. He will be your calm, your your breathing space. Shalom has all of those meanings wrapped up in it. He will help you in the midst of storms and pressures. He will help you hold it together. He will calm your fears. He will ease your anxieties about little things or big things. God says through Micah, he will be your shalom. Now now understand it. What this is saying is that the only way we find these blessings, the only way we experience these blessings is by a personal, individual enjoyed union with Jesus Christ. We only get this peace in him. We only get this peace with him. 
There's nothing that can so calm a worried Christian. There's nothing that can, can so de-stress a stressed out Christian. There's nothing that can so calm a, a stress-torn Christian than time with Jesus. Christmas will not bring you peace. Sorry to tell you. Christmas, as a time of year, will not bring you peace. Lots of us know that. It's been a hectic few weeks. Christmas is not our peace. Jesus is. And that's why coming to church is so important in the Christian life and at Christmas time. There's nothing that can so calm us than time with Jesus. Together as a church family, alone in our own personal devotions. How is time with Jesus going for you at this Christmas time? And what needs to change if you're not spending time with him? To enjoy peace, you've got to get close to him. You've got to spend time with him. It sounds so, so basic, so uncomplicated, and it almost doesn't need to be said. But, but sometimes we need to be reminded of the most basic and uncomplicated things. Je- Jesus doesn't give us a lump of peace. It's not that he gives it to us as a gift and, and then leaves, it, leaves, it to, leaves us to open it ourselves. You, you can't have or enjoy this gift without him. Peace isn't found through Christmas or a time of year. It isn't even found in, in religious activity. Jesus is our peace. Jesus in your heart. You in Christ. You spending time with him and having fellowship with him. Where will God's ruler come from? He'll come from Bethlehem. He'll be fully God, fully man. And he'll also be humble. Why will God's ruler come? So so that he might save his people from their sins. And what will God's ruler provide? Peace. And it's only found in him by going directly to him. Doesn't come from outside of him. Now, what if you're here this evening and you're not a Christian? You're not there in terms of of trusting Jesus personally and individually. Well, what does this passage say to you? Well, let me finish with with this story or illustration, and I've used it before, but it's worth sharing again. Uh, The the town of Bethlehem is now a reasonably big place. I think it's now a city in the Middle East. Uh, It's currently under Palestinian control, so if you were to try to go there now, it would be quite difficult to get into. But there's a church in Bethlehem that claims to be built on the place where Christ was born, the actual place. It's not a pretty church by any stretch of the imagination, and it's very hard to tell if it was actually the place where Jesus was born. To be honest, it probably wasn't. Uh, Not that far away from this church is another church that claims to have the shepherd's bones, the actual shepherds who visited Jesus, their remains in a glass cage or glass case. And again, it's probably not the shepherd's bones. But anyway, I I was in this church in Bethlehem a while back, built on the site where Jesus was supposedly born. And and when I was there, I, I remember seeing people kissing a part of the floor that is claimed to be the exact spot of Jesus' birth. It was a bit strange. But the most memorable part of the church in Bethlehem is actually the entrance. The door to the church has a very low lintel and a raised step. So the only way you get in is by bowing. The the, the only way for you to get in through the door is to bow. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a king, a queen, a prime minister, a president, a judge, or a peasant, you must bow to enter. All all the trappings 
and relics aren't the main point of Christianity. God doesn't want us to worship relics or bow down before bones that probably don't belong to the people we're told they belong to. God wants us, calls us. God calls you, if you've never done it before, to bow down before the Lord Jesus. To truly know him will mean that you bow down before him. Bow in humility, bow in repentance, bow in faith and trust. Entry into his kingdom is so low that it really does mean that Jesus is for everyone. If you think of it like this, so many people could never have got to him if he had been born in a palace. Imagine the shepherds turning up at the palace and being told, thanks for turning up men, but actually you're not getting in here tonight. No, no entry into Jesus' kingdom, into Jesus' family is open to all, but it excludes those who will not bow. The message of the gospel, the message of Christmas is that all those who hold on to their pride will not get in. If you, if you will not stoop and will not bow the knee to Jesus, then you will not know him. Just as he came humbly into this world, so we must come humbly to him. So if you've never done it, will you bow before Jesus tonight? Will you trust him? Will you bow low and know him to be the ruler who has come? Where will God's ruler come from? The ruler God will send will come from Bethlehem. Why will he come? So that he might save us, you and me, here tonight from our sins. And what will God's ruler provide? Peace. Shalom. And it's only found in him. By going directly to him. Doesn't come from outside of him. Jesus is our peace. To enjoy that peace. To know that peace. To have that peace this Christmas. You need to go to him. Let's pray together as we close. Father, we thank you for this distant ancient prophecy which tells us so much about the ruler who has come at Christmas time. How we thank you for Jesus. How we thank you that he was born in humility in Bethlehem. How we thank you that he came to save us from our sins. And how we thank you that, that he is the one who provides us with peace, him himself. Father, we pray that we would rest in Jesus tonight. We pray that we would find our peace in him, that we would spend time with him this Christmas, over, this, over these Christmas weeks. And we pray as well that those who haven't trusted in Jesus would bow before him for the first time this evening, bow in repentance, bow in faith and trust, and know the peace that he alone can bring. Father, we're thankful for your word. Bless it to all of our hearts tonight. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.